Hi, I'm Dan from Desert Island Dicks and welcome to Desert Island Dicks. Today featuring the wonderful Serena Cody. Uh, she's a writer, she's written for The Independent, CNN, Vox, ID, Dazed, loads of papers and, and magazines and more. Um, you can find her online, you can look up Serena Cody and see her website or find her on Twitter. Anyway, she's very funny, she's got a lot to say and she's well worth following on Twitter as well because she's very funny on that too. Thanks to everyone who's been listening and downloading uh, the podcast recently. We really appreciate it. Thank you for those of you who have left uh, reviews as well, because I really like that. Um, much like many people who work in the media, I have a fragile ego and it's always nice to hear nice feedback from you. So thank you. If you would like to leave a review, uh, you're always very welcome. And uh, by all means, do go and subscribe and that way you'll never miss an episode because they'll just well, no, I'm not going to explain it. You know how subscriptions work by now. It's 2023 for crying out loud. I think that's about it. As always, you can get in touch with us if you want to um, by going to dickspod.com slash contact if you want to send in any submissions you've got for Compact Dicks. We haven't done any of those for a little while, but we do mean to get back on it. So uh, send in your submissions for who and what you think are a dick um, that way, and uh, we'll try and get them in the next episode. And you can also always, with anything, get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at DixPod. Right, I think that's the main stuff out of the way. Let's get on with the show, shall we? Here is Desert Island Dix with Serena Cody. Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to our guest and here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is writer and journalist Serena Cody. How are you doing? I am doing well. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. We're doing an evening record, which is... Uh, I feel more relaxed and slightly less ranty than normal, so I don't know how that will affect things. How, how are you feeling? Um, I feel very relaxed, but you know, when I'm relaxed, I can still feel ranty. So I guess that works for the subject matter. <laughs> and do you find, so, I mean, in general, do you someone who sort of likes to vent all their frustrations or are you kind of a bit more mild mannered about the, your likes and dislikes? I'm a pretty open person. Like I find it hard to mask how I'm feeling or like, you know, if I dislike someone, I, I, I pretty much just wear it on my face. Yeah, I do. I do like to get it out, I must say. <laughs> okay, well, let's just get started. Let's get straight into it. Um, you're on the island. The plane has crashed. Three dicks. Who's going to be the first dick joining you? Um, okay, the first dick is an easy one. I'd have to say it's my Christian life studies teacher from school. Okay. Pro you probably won't know what Christian life studies is. Like, I don't think most people would know, but I was at like a really religious high school not like a you know catholic regimented catholic school with priests and ceremonial garb it was more like evangelical so a lot okay. of the kids there were like student uh, children of pastors and ministers and christian missionaries um and we didn't have religion or um what do you call it in the uk like religious studies like re yeah, yeah re, RE yeah. or rs yeah yeah so we didn't have that we had cls Christian life studies so like 
it, it basically taught us how to be good Christians on the daily. And it, it wasn't like there, at one point there were 16 Christian life studies classes and like four science classes. So it kind of tells you what we're working with. And that was during like our equivalent of A-levels. So it's a, it's a miracle I got out of there without joining a missionary. Mm. So you're at this school, but there's one particular teacher who who was the worst then. Yeah. So she was, she taught my CLS class and she was a real piece of work. Like she, she would um, ban us from sitting in the lotus position. So that's just sitting on the floor cross-legged um, because she believed it would welcome demons into our body. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's properly nuts. Yeah, yeah. She she like she had this like phobia of different cultures and different religions, even though I'm pretty sure she like took these biannual trips to India and she would come to school in like a, a full sari. And this is a white woman, by the way. She'd come to in a sari like once a week. Um, she was an interesting one. She, I remember she, we had to do like an assignment of, it was like writing an S in class essay and we weren't allowed to have any notes or have access to any computers or books or anything. And she believed I had plagiarized it. At the end, because she didn't think I was, I did really well on this essay, not to brag, but she thought that I fully cheated because I wasn't smart enough to do that well. <laughs> and I think I use words like quintessentially and and comprise, which like fair enough, are pretty wanky words for a sixteen year old to use. But <laughs> she had to basically call my mom and me, and we sat in interviews with my English teachers, and they had to validate that I had indeed been smart enough to write an essay with the words comprise in it. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I can't get over the, the sitting cross-legged thing. That is, yeah. I mean, it must be so weird if you're someone who believes that sitting in a certain way can allow demons into your world. I mean, I know. there must be so many pitfalls in life, like, know. you know. Yeah, exactly. Like, how do you get anything done without, like, you know, with a constant fear of demonic presence i mean there's so many other things to worry about <laughs> i know wow that's that's mental um yeah. and so did you have a for like quite a while at your school was it was it a number of years you had it for yeah i had a like for i think that one year for that cls class and then she might come into other classes when she was like subbing for other teachers and she, she I think she had like a senior advisory role in some way so she was always around like and and also she really stood out like she would wear a sari one day she'd wear sort of like a a mafia style outfit the next or she'd dress up like a teenager she was in her 50s and like she just you couldn't pin her down with her style like my my friend and I we made this like cut out paper doll book and it was like, I'm like not going to say her name, obviously, but it would be like all the sort of looks she had. Like, you know, there's like equestrian Barbie, a like aviation Barbie. We'd do it for her. So we'd do like her sari, her, her mafia look. There's just, it was like sort of our way of, um, our way of coping in a oppressive religious environment. But yeah, I just, I wouldn't like having her on an island because I think she, well, I mean, she'd find a way to corner me and make me join her, um, you know, Islanders, Islanders for Christ sect or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a 
good fresh start to you know for a missionary isn't it basically <laughs> I mean that's it's ideal for her really yeah exactly they historically have thrived in places like that yeah definitely <laughs> I wonder if if like there's sort of different outfits all the time maybe it's a way of throwing off the demons or something it's like maybe oh yeah. wait it's not her she's changed <laughs> wait damn it where is she yeah. <laughs> you know those yeah. stupid demons just uh, yeah. bumbling around being like, fuck, no, she was wearing a sari. No, because I remember because it was weird because she was this white lady. Ah, oh, I don't know where she is. <laughs> yeah, she was smarter than we gave her credit for. She was just throwing the demonic energies off the trail. Smart woman. Yeah. I had a couple of weird uh, religious teachers. I mean, not to that degree. Uh, you know, I didn't go to a specially religious school, but I, I had a couple that was sort of very much everything in the Bible as it is written. Mm-hmm. You know, and you sort of meet a lot of, Christians who go, okay, you know, I believe in God, but I I do think the Garden of Eden bit is just a story sort of thing. But they were like, no, 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 this all fucking happened, you know? (laughs) And like, if you sort of said something like, uh, will my pet rabbit go to heaven? There's none of this sort of like, keep an eight-year-old child happy. They were like, nope, it doesn't say anything about that in the Bible. You'd say, uh, um, my friend's Muslim, will will he go to heaven? It's like, only if he repents. And it was like, (laughs) wow, like... I'm I'm eight. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. There's got to be some nuance there. It can't just go from zero to hell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I had this one teacher though. I remember like she was a music teacher, and something like I think we were allowed to have a go on different instruments, and there was a tuba, and um, someone like blew a tuba very close to my head, and for some reason I sounded like this makes me sound like a fucking Victorian chimney sweep child, but I said. <laughs> Uh, at the noise, I was surprised and I said, "Core, blind me. I don't know why I said that phrase, but she got incredibly angry and she like got really close to my face. She's like, do you know what that means? I was like, no, core. And she's like, say it again. I was like, core, blind me. She goes, it means God blind me. And I was like, why did you make me say it again then? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, that, that was quite mad. And that's when God reached down his mighty hand and he took your eyes from your head. Yeah, and I don't know, it's, it's the whole video call thing is pointless. I don't, you know, <laughs> haven't been able to see since then. And, and it was my own fault, so fair enough. I had no idea that's what call blimey meant. I, I probably doesn't, does it? I mean, it's probably, it's like sitting cross-legged invites demons into your body. It's it's that kind of weird control thing, isn't it, I suppose? But um, yeah. Wow. I mean, having this person as a, as a, as a companion on a desert island is, is amazing. Yeah, it would be rough. I I honestly think like thinking about the all the dicks I wouldn't want to be stuck with on an island and like thinking about her when I was, you know, like 15, I feel like she probably caused a lot of like imposter syndrome in my head because, you know, now when I write things, I'm like, hey, am I actually smart enough to write this? Because it has a big word in it. Because back, like, back then I had no trouble writing this essay, but she really made me think that I was – illiterate Mm. so yeah there'd be no escaping that on the island i feel like she would she would it'd be a huge blow to my confidence to have her as one of the other survivors Mm. i mean it's a really good trait in a teacher isn't it that like when someone's showing extra promise like instead of being wow i'm really surprised this is amazing you're a great writer let's talk about that it's like well you must have cheated (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, so many bad teachers that like still haunt me so uh yeah i think it's a very good first choice i think um a whole island could be populated with with nothing but teachers very easy i mean my mum was a teacher i'm not putting all teachers in there obviously yeah she's different she's not like the other teachers (laughs) 
<laughs> there are some good ones, obviously, but yeah, we, we can all remember the bad ones just as well, can't we? So For sure. Who's going to be joining the two of you then? Who's your next dick on the island? My next dick will have to be Darren McCready. He was the chef to Diana, Princess of Wales. Okay. Personal chef. I don't know if you've seen any of his work. I don't know if I have. No, tell us tell us some more about him. He's a YouTuber. Ah. He's got a pretty big following, actually, um, much to my chagrin. But, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he basically makes these very clickbaity videos that draw on any story he can pluck out of his, like, um, history working for the royal family. I think okay. he was doing it for more than a decade. And um, he, yeah, he has all these videos that somehow tie back to, like, one of these recollections. So there's one where he's just, like, he's, he, he ties into, like, Prince Harry and William's feud. And I, don't, I can't – I'm so bad at doing English accents. I try my hardest because <laughs> they always come out sounding Cockney. I'm pretty sure he's not Cockney. Um, but, yeah, he, he'll be like – it's it saddens me to see Prince and uh, Prince Harry and William fighting because I remember when they were boys and they'd come into my kitchen asking for spaggy ball and <laughs> it, it literally every, like I remember I think it was like when the news was released of Harry proposing to Meghan with a chicken like a roast chicken or something <laughs> and and of course uh, Chef Darren McCready had to come out saying like yeah. It was actually me who taught Harry how to make chicken. <laughs> oh, he ju- it just, I don't know, it's just the sensationalist way in which he creates these food videos it really fucks me off because, like, he's he's exploiting the memory of, like, Diana. Like, he talks about how what he cooked for her when she, during her bulimia, mm. uh, battle with bulimia, and I'm like, dude, that's off. Like, yeah. and also the food he's making is so basic. Like, it's, like, strawberries and cream and, like, like like a roast or like spaghetti bolognese, like the most basic basic mm. stuff. But he's just really exploiting his his work as a royal chef. And I think, yeah, being being on an island with him, I can imagine him every time we find some crab scuttling around or you know a wild rat to eat, he would probably <laughs> find a way to tie it back to his <laughs> time being in the kitchen in the the kitchens at Balmoral and. <laughs> um, that would be hell for me. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just trying to Google while we're talking to see if it was the same one because I have watched some videos from a, a ex royal chef, and I think it was like the Queen's chef. I think it was a different one. And what I realised from watching a few videos is just she's got really basic shit taste in food. Like mm-hmm. he'd say, "Oh, of course," and the Queen always had her steak well done. Um, and you know, you know, like she just has the sort of taste of just an old lady who lived through the war, you know, mm. and that's fine. But it's like, here's what she'd have as a traditional tea, uh, afternoon tea. And it was just like jam sandwiches and stuff. And it's like, there's nothing, there was just nothing interesting about it at all. But he, Like a ration style dining. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I guess people weren't foodies in those days. And, you know, we didn't have access to like a whole international buffet of options that we do these days and like you know she was an old lady yeah she's gonna have fairly sort of plain Mm. taste but I think he was just a sort of very sycophantic kind of chef he wasn't particularly I think this guy sounds much more dangerous (laughs) and sort of weaselly I think I don't know I honestly think you're thinking of the same one though because I think for a time 
he was he also worked for the Queen. I think he worked for all of them. And then after, like, actually, I'm so embarrassed that I know this much. <laughs> but like after the divorce, I think Diana got to keep the chef. Okay. God, rich people's divorces are different, aren't they? It's like oh, who yeah. gets to keep the coffee machine? It's like, <laughs> yeah. No, he is the coffee machine. Yeah. You know, it's just a man making you coffee. Yeah. But honestly, I agree with what you say about like old, like the taste of an old lady. But I just find it like wild that, you know, you've got all this privilege and power and you 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 own the Commonwealth. Like you own all these countries that have much more you know, refined palates and mm. wide-ranging cuisines. And would you not, like, want to take advantage of that in the slightest? <laughs> okay, so we've got him on the island, and I think that would just be fucking boring. So you've got on one <sighs> side, you've got an evangelical Christian who's sort of driving you mad because you're sitting in the wrong way or, you know, you're you're doing something wrong at all times, I imagine. And then you've got someone who just wants to sort of regale you with with stories of feeding the queen. I think that's, yeah, that's already kind of a rock and a hard place. So let's see if we can make it even worse. Um, who's the third person going to be? Yeah, let's dial it up a notch. I think we're going to stay on the, um, the trend of people from my past, mm-hmm. people from my childhood. So I'm going to say the man who ruined my youth at a barbecue. Right. Yeah. It was this guy. I honestly don't remember that much about what he looked like or what his name was. I think his name was kind of like Duncan or Garrett, something along those lines. Um, And he was a colleague or like an employee of my parents. They ran like a contracting business through the Department of Defense in Australia. And so he worked for them and he had a barbecue at his place. And I think I was like 10 or 11. It was it was around the time when reality TV shows about talent were hitting the big time. Like you guys probably had your own, you know, smorgasbord of those, probably have way more than we did. But we had Australian Idol, which was literally just um, the Ryan Seacrest American Idol, um, but with Australians. And, yeah, it was – I was obsessed with it, as were a lot of my school friends. We would, like, text in 55 cents a text message, like, who do you want to stay? Um, and I was – and, like, they, it was all about singing, but then there would be these little almost halftime performances from random, like, performance troops around the country. And at the time I was really into dancing. Like, I thought it was my dream to become a dancer. And I was at this barbecue and – I had like my little Nokia phone that my parents used to keep track of me when I would catch the school bus and so I also could play Snake on it. And I remember getting a call. I was like, oh, my God, this is so weird. No one ever calls me except for mom and dad and they're right here. Who is it? And it's from an unknown number. I called it and I'm and I'm listening to it and and I hear, hi. It's sort of like this very um, sort of like a real Aussie radio radio talk show voice like hi Serena how you doing it's you know it's it's John calling from Australian Idol from the production team really wanted to see I know I noticed you're a dancer with you know uh with this dance studio and we wanted to see if you'd love to join our exclusive children's dance troupe for Australian Idol and you know I was like oh my god like I just didn't know what to say I was like holy fuck, like this is my big break. I'm like freaking out. And and like 
I'm sort of I've taken myself away from the barbecue. And I look over at my parents and they're sort of like looking at me. I don't know, like half smiling. And then someone at the barbecue starts like they burst into laughter. And then the guy who's hosting the barbecue, the Duncan, the Garrett guy, he comes out and he's like on the phone and it was him. No. Yeah. Yeah. It hurt so bad. Like it was the meanest thing. And I was literally 10 or 11. I don't remember. But and, you know, I wasn't like an innocent child. I was extremely annoying. But I didn't deserve this. And. I always think about it and he would, yeah, I would literally hate to be on an island with him because it would be just a reminder of that. And maybe it's just a coincidence, but I gave up dance four years later. Oh, man. I mean, oh, there's a lot to get through here. <laughs> I mean, number one, like, it's a terrible story. I mean, it's an amazing story, but it's uh, what a bastard. I mean, I'm slightly relieved when you said a friend of my dad's who ruined my childhood. It is slightly better than what I thought it might have been at one point. Yeah, I thought I thought <laughs> it might skew towards that because I know what it sounds like. Um, but but it's just so weird to like play a prank on a kid like that. Like, I know because it's quite elaborate and it's sort of like, hey guys, watch this elaborate prank. He would have had to get your number off your parents yeah. or something. That you're meant to punch up, not like... And also, like, if he works with your dad, like, watch me make a fool of your daughter in front of all these people. It's fucking weird. God, what a yeah. bastard. And then, I mean, what what did you do then? Did you, were you, did you kind of sort of try and pretend that you were fine or were you really upset and sort of... Did you have to, like, run away or, like, what was the, the immediate aftermath? I don't know. I just... I think I just played it really cool and, like, I don't know, maybe go... Went and poured juice into his shoes or did something to get back at him my own way. But, yeah, I was so angry. I remember, like, we had to see him in a few other, like, barbecues or events that would my my parents would host with, like, their employees and whatnot. And um, I would just always avoid him, even though I was, like, 11, 12, and I didn't really have anything else to do or anywhere else to be. Yeah. But, yeah, he, he I remember he had young children, and they're probably grown up now, and I... I hope they hate him and I hope that they have no relationship. Nah, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure he's redeemed himself. But I mean, if, you know, if he had sort of suggested that prank to his kids to do to you, that's one thing. But him as a grown man doing it to you when you're like 10, it's just oh. such a weird thing to do. I know, right? Yeah. And I just imagine on a desert island, just like all the pranks and just sort of like, oh, come on, we're having a laugh. And you're like, yeah, you've just like contaminated our drinking water with with like <laughs> yeah you know with that bad dodgy crab that we found yeah. now now we're gonna like it's not no it's not funny no it's not funny it's, uh, yeah i am angry but it's also not funny anyway yeah and he'd have this maniacal smile on his face and be like uh, eyes wide like you like it you like it just be like no oh. mate garrett duncan just fucking get over yourself Oh, man, what a horrible bastard. Yeah, I think that's going to be a terrible... I mean, this is... I mean, in terms of the podcast, this is great content. But in terms of you on an island with these people, this is a fucking nightmare. So I think you're doing a superb job there. Um, Thank you. Yeah, just thinking of these three on an island together. Oof. I know. But it is somewhat therapeutic to remember it and talk about it with you. So um, there's that. Yeah. Well, I mean... I. 
you know, it's a it's a great story. But yeah, I'm really sorry that happened. God, what a bastard. Okay, well, look, we're going to distract you slightly now because mercifully, amongst the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad? Oof, well, um, there's not many foods I don't like. I mean, I don't eat meat, so there's a lot of foods I don't eat, but I still, yeah, I love food. But if, yeah, if there's one food I would hate to have on the island, it would be chicken schnitzel. Okay. It's another, like, personal connection. I live with this um, flatmate not so long ago who... Um, he was like a real gym bro Mm -hmm. and he would only eat chicken schnitzel like you open the freezer drawer and the freezer drawer was like piled high it was like a patchwork quilt of pre-made chicken schnitzel (laughs) like unwrapped unsealed just you know raw dog and chicken schnitzel in this freezer drawer (laughs) and like seeing that every day for a year like these really sad-looking orange crumbed <laughs> pieces of flesh just laying out in the oven. Yeah, I just I I'm so I don't live there anymore, thankfully. But having to see that again and having to see that for eternity on an island would really <laughs> just make my head spin. That's a weird thing to be really like. I mean, even if you're a real gym bro, you think it's just going to be like boring grilled chicken, but the schnitzel, yeah. it's just kind of a weird dimension to it. I don't know why. Well, he didn't eat vegetables. So like, it would, so rather than like what you said, like some lean meat and like broccoli and brown rice or something, mm. it was literally just like, yeah, schnitzel. I remember my friend Ellen, she was visiting from Australia and she stayed with me for a week and she's like the loveliest person and just very like pure in her like observations of things like you know people like that they just have that you know spark about them and I remember she walked in the kitchen one afternoon and she was like huh what are all those orange towels doing I was like (laughs) what orange towels she was like why is that just left there and I was like Ellen those are chicken schnitzels (laughs) like she literally thought they were hand towels well, it gives an indication of how appetizing they, they must have been. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, it was awful. I wish I took a picture of them just like, I don't know, just to have on file. Yeah. To prepare it, don't you have to hammer the meat quite a lot? Was he like doing meal prep of like just hammering meat for ages to make it flat? That's a good question. That, I thought that was a part of the, the schnitzel kind of thing. Yeah, because you tenderize it, right? Is that what's called tenderizing? Yeah, they, they, like... Just smack it with a hammer. I mean, any meal that you prepare by hitting it with a hammer isn't really the best. So maybe that was part of his, like, rigorous workout plan. Maybe that counted mm. towards the the output. Yeah. God, what a bleak thing to eat all the time. So that would guess, I guess that would be, like, two meals a day would be that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Fuck. And for breakfast, I don't – oh, for breakfast it was, like, um, protein powder mixed with – like egg whites to form pancakes. You know, there's that that awful phrase about how nothing was it nothing tastes as good as skinny feels, which oh you know the sort of it's a terrible phrase, but that sort of heroin chic era kind yeah. of thing. Like I feel like there needs to be an opposite one. You know, it's like like for bodybuilding, it's sort of like. <laughs> you will never look good enough to eat this shit all the time kind of, you know what I mean? Obviously it's a work in progress, but you know what I mean? It's like, 
I'm sure you could still get pretty ripped and eat normal-ish food. Yeah. <laughs> so a chicken schnitzel then I think is a, is a good choice. What are you going to wash it down with? What's your What's your drink choice? I'd have to say like really undrinkable drink is like inauthentic chai latte. Okay. Like chai latte from powder. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And what what is it specifically about it that you hate so much? I just find like the whole thing very blasphemous. Like, or maybe that makes me sound a bit like my um religion teacher, but <laughs> I think if when you have authentic like Indian chai, it's this incredible aromatic drink with like fresh ginger, black pepper, cardamom, cinnamon sticks, like all these beautiful flavors coming together and it's made fresh that's the whole point but then I feel like you go to these cafes and chai latte sort of like the option you have if you can't really handle coffee and you don't want to look like a 12 year old by ordering a hot chockey even though yeah I think they're great um (laughs) I think not much thought is put into a chai latte these days like it's literally just made from that powder that's full of like milk milk powder or like maltodextrin whatever like it's like a processed Mm. carb i think that Mm. isn't a lot of like pre-made mixes or whatever and i just yeah i can't take it like honestly it might be tmi but nothing makes me shit myself faster than having a powdered chai latte like it makes me feel so (laughs) ill um and i know i'm not the only one Mm. And also chai is supposed to be tea and not coffee as well. So that's the other thing, isn't it? Yeah. That's the thing. And like people say, like if they have a chai tea, they'll say yeah, chai tea. But chai means tea. So it's like saying tea tea. Mm. It's like when people say naan bread. I hate that. They're saying, you're saying bread bread. I don't know. I just don't like the culture around like westernized chai because I think because I got sent a bunch of free chai back when I was like a staff reporter and uh, and I remember, like, it was this white lady that travelled to India once and she just decided, yeah, I'm going to – I think I can steal this recipe pretty well and uh, monetize it. And she did really well. I think well, I've had some of that because, like, when my wife was pregnant, I think she was just, like, so bored of not being able to have, like, proper coffee and tea. And just – I think – I don't know whether she bought it or someone else bought her just, like, a load of different herbal teas and things that, you know, you just, like – I'm just bored. I just need something different to have. And I remember reading the back of a carton and it was like, yeah, just a white woman was like, on my travels to India, I've had a great time experiencing the lovely chai. And so here's my version that we've, you know, just like ground into a fucking paste and and I've made loads of money off. Yeah, there is something really like galling about that. How did it taste? I never had any because, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, I like really, you know, I really like normal chai, but... It's sort of, yeah, I, I don't know. Also, I think it's context. Like if I'm in India, then it's it's everywhere and that's what I just sort of instinctively go for. But over here, I don't, I don't know. I just, if it's like served to me by a white person who also kind of, you know, holds their hands together and bows slightly as they give it to me, I'm like, fuck off. Like, <laughs> like we're both English here. Like, let's not just yeah. fuck off. Cut <laughs> to the chase. Yeah. I'm just thinking how... Of your of your uh, religious teacher in the sari, she'll probably be. I don't know. Will she love it or not? It's so hard to gauge. I think her she'd absolutely me. love it. Yeah, I think she would. I think she's, you know, one of those people that'll uh, pick and choose what they appreciate about a certain culture. 
and um, just roll with it. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I think it's a terrible thing to drink along with the chicken schnitzel as well. So, uh, oh my god, yeah, that'd be so gnarly. <laughs> that that textural combination, like, like the yeah, and the colours, like the the greyness of the latte and the the, the orange towel texture of <laughs> the schnitzel. Fucking hell! <laughs> it's a good choice. Okay, fortunately, you won't be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favourite film of all time, and the other is your least favourite song. What are they and why? This one was the hardest because there's just so many to talk about. There's a lot of... There's a lot of shit these days. Um, In terms of the song, it would have to be Echo Beach. Oh, uh, Martha and the Muffins, is it? Oh yeah, I think that's them. I don't, I don't mm. actually know what the who the artist is, but I'm guessing that's them. It's a terrible band name, isn't it? Yeah, awful. Is is it lead singer called Martha? Yeah, Martha Johnson. Martha Johnson, you beast. She is the one who's responsible for this. So, <laughs> like the song Echo Beach, it starts nice enough. Like it's got um, it's like do 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 do. And you're like, wow, I'm like sort of, I'm. There's a good, a good song in store, and then it continues, and then she, then the, the the vocalist like delivers it in such a like. I think it was quite specific to this era of like '80s new wave music, where they where they have this very like monotone delivery, mm. um, and which I can't talk. I wear a pretty like monotonal voice, <laughs> but you know, I'm not making albums out of it. And and she's sort of saying like my job is really boring. I'm an office clerk, <laughs> and I just every time I hear this song, like it's weird because I swear I swear the last like three times I've heard it, I've been in like a shopping center or a mall, and like weirdly I've been in the bathroom, and this song's playing, and I'm like, what is going on? And it, it reminds me, I think when I was like. 16 or 17 I had a holiday job at like this discount perfume shop which is great because I got to smell all these perfumes um and like you know what else does a teenage girl want except for (laughs) except to smell nice um and that song would always come on like there was like a sketches shop like the shoes next door and they had this like like revolving soundtrack of like I swear to god 12 songs and that was one of them it's an odd one. I think it does sort of have a whiff of retail about it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I don't know why I get that as well. But um, I'm looking at the lyrics and um, the first the first um, verse says, I know it's out of fashion and a trifle uncool, but I can't help it. I'm a romantic fool. It's a habit of mine to watch the sun go down. On Echo Beach, I watch the sun go down. And I just feel like, you know, there shouldn't be rules and it's okay to have the same phrase repeated but it just feels like that early in a song you're running out of ideas that quickly like three lines in you know you're gonna go uh da, 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 sun goes down fucking sun goes down <laughs> <laughs> like you know it's like come on like you've got you've literally just started i'm glad you noticed that because that is another thing that really pisses me off about it because it it's like it launches with that you're like this is where you're trying to hook the listeners you got four verses. I mean, this is just googling the lyrics, so there might be more in it. But you basically got four lyric, four verses, 
And then it just says Echo Beach far away in time again and again and again <laughs> to the end. Like that's it. I, I sometimes think, you know, I can't write songs, but sometimes when you see it written down, you're like, oh, I only need that much. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe I, maybe I should give it a go. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like anyone, maybe anyone could do it. You know, maybe we could all make great like little jingles. But I think they were a one-hit wonder, so I guess that tells us all we need to know. Well, when I Googled it, it came up with Martha. The suggestion said Martha and the Muffin songs. And I'm like, obviously, I'm not, like, of course I'm not Googling the other songs. No. <laughs> Track two, the sun comes up. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why it's called Echo Beach, because it just sounds the mm. same thing. You know, you hear the same sound coming back at you over Honestly, and over again. Honestly, you might be onto something, because I'm pretty sure Echo Beach is not a real place. Like, I think they're just sort of creating a mystical location, like it's a metaphor sort of thing, mm. which I can relate to. I kind of, I like the sentiment of the song. Yeah, you're in this corporate environment that's not really fulfilling all your needs. You just you want to get to the beach, man. You just want to like slip into the sea, have a little swim. I can relate to that, but I don't know. It's just like something about that like repetition, like you said, and just the monotone. Like it reminds me of like for some reason, like I think I feel like we've talked about hell a lot. In this, mm. um, in this chat, but I feel like the song reminds me of Hell because of that aspect, like the the pulsing, monotone, repetitive rhythm. Like when I was really young, I had tonsillitis and I was sick for like two to three days. My parents would just like find me around the house because I'd like done night walking or something because I was so ill. And I remember in these dreams, I'd have this like re- recurring dream about. Like it was just not really anything, but it was like this song was repeating in my dream. And it wasn't, it was almost like, it was like a hymn, but like um, same level, just repetitive over and over again on a loop for hours and hours and hours. And um, I don't know, this song kind of, it doesn't sound the same as the one in my um, hell dream, but it's, it's a similar vibe. It's like, mm. it's inescapable. Yeah. And maybe it's tied into my whole retail experience when I was a teenager, but it all just, like when I hit the song, I think I'm never getting out of here. Yeah. Sort of thing. Okay. What would your, what would your film choice be? My film choice would be the Ben Affleck, Jennifer Lopez vehicle known as Gili. What What's the basic premise? What happens in that? It's kind of like a, a wannabe heist mob film. It's sort of it's trying quite hard to be Tarantino esque, um, but it was a huge flop. I think they spent like 50, 70 million on it. And if you see the movie, which I recommend you do, it looks like it cost about two dollars. Like it, I think the money went into obviously paying for J Lo and Ben mm. Affleck, who were huge at the time. Oh my god, this this film is just it's. Not bad in an obvious way. Like, it's just that you watch it and you start being like, oh, my God, wow, there are so many, like, 20-minute monologues in it. And I don't really know how to explain it. I feel like you have to watch some clips to to get the vibe. It has Al Pacino and Christopher Walken in, which is a surprise. Yeah, Christopher Walken's actually incredible in it. He just he waltzes in for, like, one scene and knocks everything out of the park like he's giving i shit you not the performance of a lifetime like <laughs> it's like he was given another script and the people that were shooting it were 
just like went with it because mm. they needed it because he was such hot shit and he was just so confident and gave such a like natural performance and then he's gone. <laughs> I mean, Al Pacino, like he's held up as such a great actor. He has been in some absolute oh, stinkers. Absolutely. Uh, he was in the Adam Sandler film Jack and Jill, which is oh. one of the worst films I have ever seen. Uh, and he's in that. And, oh, my God, it's so bad. I don't. I mean, I think at some point he should be sort of penalised somehow. I don't know. It's sort of like, because it's like, oh, yeah, but he's the greatest. Al Pacino, yeah, love him, mate. Yeah, him and De Niro. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Because let's bring up all of his work here because some of it is fucking shit. And De Niro's the same. He's taken on some real stinkers as well. Mm, yeah. And um, I mean, with Geely, can you remember? Can you remember when you saw it? What was the sort of context? But when you watched it, <laughs> I watched it again really recently. I think I was just interested in watching it because they got back together, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, I'm doing this. <laughs> I found it so interesting because I thought that they had already met. Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck, like known power couple of the early noughties. They'd already met and they like fought to make this film so they could have more time together and like, you know, have sex in each other's trailers and whatnot. And then I realised they actually met on the film. So they agreed to make this willingly and you see it and the script is genuinely shocking. Like, and it's so, it's so offensive, like, it has that Justin Barthur guy in it. He's like playing like an intellectually disabled young man and the performance is truly like, oh, it's it's played up for laughs and it's not at all funny. It's shocking. And then like, oh, oh it's, it gets worse. Like Jennifer Lopez is gay. Her character's gay. And the, the premise is that Gili, so, oh, yeah, Ben Affleck is Gili, pronounced like really because it's spelt giggly and he's trying to win over Jennifer Lopez's character and he, he believes that lesbians are basically a myth and that all, like to cure them all you need is a dick and he, and she fights back at that very playfully and passively. She's like sort of descends into one of the film's many, many lengthy monologues about but this one's by far the worst. And she's like, you know, a penis is like a sea slug or a really long thumb. Like she says all this shit. And then she goes into how women should be with women because the mouth is like the twin sister to the vagina. She's, she, and she says this while she's doing yoga. And he's just watching her like with his mouth open, like, whoa, this chick is like a real philosopher. <laughs> and he's just, and there's this, it's the only time in the movie when there's like this soft, really like sentimental guitar playing. The rest of the movie is like stock jazz music, like <laughs> really hokey jazz music underscoring it. Um, and then there's this whole other um, monologue that Ben Affleck delivers and he calls, it's so bad, like he calls her a Dicosaurus Rex. <laughs> yeah it's so it's oh it's gnarly it's it's so wrong but honestly it's worth the watch because it's just one of the, those those movies like is was that jack and jill was it, was it called jack? jack and jill 
Yeah, was that worth the watch? Like, because you know how that some movies are so delightfully bad. <laughs> I watched that because we were doing a live show for one of these, and um, normally I don't always get the people's choices. You know, so I didn't know what you were going to pick before this, but sometimes, occasionally, I do. And I thought because it's a live show, I'm really bad at having seen many. There's loads of films I haven't seen. I thought I'm going to get this person's choices beforehand just so that I've got more to say, you know, when we're actually in front of people. And they picked Jack and Jill. And I was like, fuck, I'm going to have to watch this piece of shit now. I think I even (laughs) had to rent it as well, which is really annoying. And then we got there and they didn't even choose. They go, oh, I'm going to make some changes. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. They're like, yeah, I'm not going to pick that film anymore. I was like, fuck, I've just watched. There's literally no reason to watch this film. It was so bad. you were robbed. You were fully robbed. Yeah, so I feel very angry about that. But um. Yeah, I don't know. Just the idea that in a film, like someone, the main, you know, one of the sort of the main characters is a lesbian and they can just be sort of won over at the end. It's like such a glaring. I know like loads of films you go, would they kiss at the end? I don't know if they'd kiss at the end. I mean, they've just been, I guess they've been in a stressful situation. So maybe there'd be a bit of relief about still being mm. alive and they'd, they'd, you know, maybe have a little kiss, but <laughs> still stretching it. But it's like, but she's actually like not straight. Yeah. And she's very clear about it. She's very like, yeah, I'm gay. I've got a monologue about it. Several monologues. And she's and it's like the mo- the movie's message is, yeah, women, you might be gay, but all it takes is one Ben Affleck to cure you. And honestly, Ben Affleck in this movie, like he's wearing like this very square bowling shirt. Like he looks like he's cosplaying as like Charlie Sheen in Two and a Half Men. <laughs> And his hair is like this crispy dome over his head, this dark dome that's mounted on his head. I don't know. Do you think Ben Affleck's like a sexy guy? I mean, he seems like okay looking. I wouldn't say he's ugly, man. I don't know. Good looking in a generic way. Yeah, I agree. Like he's got the like little bum chin. I wonder if it's the film that got them together because they're just confide in each other afterwards and they're like fucking hell this is this is shit isn't it like did you hear what i said earlier that that fuck and then i've got to get off with you at the end of this and like even though i've just given the whole the thing about sea slugs and lips like oh my god and then they just sort of comforted each other it's like trauma bonding yeah it's like well at least we'll always have this darling yeah something came out of it but if we break up then we did all that for nothing yeah Wow. And now you're going to be stranded with it on the island. So I'm very sorry. Well, listen, you've been doing such a great job and we're nearly at the end. Um, So finally, the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it and why? Well, when I first was thinking about this, I wanted to say the Babadook. But then I realized Babadook's not an animal. And then it was, this one was really hard because I can't even think about, like, I love animals. And, like, it's it sounds bad to say, but I think I would choose Inspector Rex. Inspector Rex? Uh, it's like the German shepherd, like a crime-solving German shepherd from that Austrian <laughs> TV show. <laughs> okay. Okay. What, what is it about, about that dog specifically? Mm, I feel like outside of the island, I think the dog would and is thriving um, in this Austrian crime series. 
like a police investigative dog. But I think on the island, the dog, like, I mean, I love a working dog as much as the next gal, but I think the dog would be extremely precocious and wanting to like solve all these crimes and mysteries and the island simply wouldn't have it. So I feel like the dog would like fall into despair and would be quite tough to be around. And also I don't speak German, so I don't know how I would gain the dog's trust or respect. Mm, yeah. And also, I mean, if you were to, if things went properly south and you ended up killing any of the co-inhabitants on the island, dog's going to be digging up the bones and, exactly. you know, what's that? So I think he's trying to tell us something. <laughs> like, what? He's got a piece of a sari. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, the dog would totally give me away. <laughs> but, that, yeah, that the dog would love it. It would spring into action because it's like a, yeah, it looks for the corpses. So yeah. I would hate to be on an island with this dog. Like, it's cute. It's a smart German shepherd and... Um, but I just, I remember this, this, this TV show was on like the multicultural broadcaster in Australia, SBS, and it always had like late night, um, like hairy French pornos or like horror films from Japan about water demons and, and yeah, Inspector X was one of the more savory of the, um, the programs mm. and I didn't really like the show and the dog would be far too precocious for an island, like always always wanting to work and I'd probably just want to die. Mm. And if you just saw this once noble working dog just reduced to being really miserable, it would be really depressing as well, wouldn't it? So, it would be. Yeah, yeah well, definitely. A fitting end, I think, to your, your terrible island that you've put together. And uh, <laughs> it's been a really strong one, I've got to say. You've, uh, you know, got some brilliant candidates on there, all of whom I hate personally, you know, from just hearing the anecdotes about them. So um, well played indeed. Now, um, Serena, you've got, uh, obviously you're a writer. Uh, where's the best place to sort of follow some of your work? Uh, Twitter is good, like Serena Cody on Twitter. That's pretty much it. I have a website, serenacody.com, and have like all my stories there and whatnot. And yeah. Cool. Nice one. Well, we shall check that out. And uh, thank you so much for coming on Desert Island Express. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. It's been um, truly therapeutic. <laughs> Good. So there you go. Another Desert Island Dix done and dusted. And uh, yeah, more will be along very soon. I'm recording these all the time. So yes, we will be getting them out regularly. So just subscribe and you will never miss a single one. I think that's about it. So I'm just going to say that Desert Island Dix was a sync clap production. It was originally dreamt up and presented by James Deacon, who also continues to produce the show. It was produced and presented by me, Dan Benedictus. And this episode and quite a few of the recent ones have been expertly edited by Chris Attaway. And thank you very much for your time, Chris. We appreciate it. Thank you also to John Deacon for his unwavering, unflinching support for the podcast. And thank you to you. Yeah, fuck it. Thanks to you guys for listening. Uh, we appreciate it, especially if you've made it this far. You are one of the hardcore listeners. And by gum, I appreciate it. So thank you. We'll be along again soon. And until then, I hope you have a week free of dicks, unless it's the ones that we're talking about and you're listening to it and enjoying it that way. I think that's it. Bye.